sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Woohoo! Yay! All right! Nate and Ed here. Yep, back at Party Central, ready to record another stellar conversation with a five star guest. <laughs> Uh, I'm not laughing. We, it's I'm not laughing because I don't think it's true. I'm just laughing because you said it. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, I'm feeling uh, especially ebullient today, Aaron. Maybe it's because I'm just coming off vacation. I I don't take long vacations, but uh, where we actually do not work. But Allie and I just spent ten glorious days out in uh, eastern Idaho, western Wyoming the land of the Grand Tetons and uh, Yellowstone. We were there with kids and grandkids, and it was glorious. Okay, is this, like, explain this to me, because, you know, yeah. you're, you're you know, pretty old, and I'm super yeah. young. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't, I tried to say it with a straight face. I don't feel young. Uh, and And by the way, listeners, Nate and I Nor played. Do you look young, I no, I was just going to say we played with an app at some retreat years ago, uh, where it listed me like fifteen or twenty years older. Like we took a picture of our faces. You oh, were yeah. like fifteen years younger, and I was like yeah. fifteen years older, and yeah. uh, that that was really disappointing. Uh, and yeah, I yeah, yeah. I hope to believe that app sucks. But anyways, it was. It was there strictly to collect um, <laughs> our facial recognition features. I'm, I'm sure. Chinese intelligence. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But you're like here. You are having a vacation uh-huh. with kids, yeah. grandkids. Which yeah. for any parents of kids, they'd think a vacation would be. Can I not be around <laughs> these people? And at some point, that changes. And you're like, this is amazing. So when yeah. do, when does that change? You just had a great time in the Grand Tetons. <laughs> I feel yeah. dirty. When uh, that's right. When when you become a grandfather, Aaron, you will understand. Uh, children change; they become completely delightful, at least in short bursts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Okay>. That's fair. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I got you know I took. We got these kids up. We stayed at the at the Old Faithful Inn in Yellowstone, and we got these kids up early in the morning. And we were out at Old Faithful just as the sun came up. Now, in the middle of the day, there are hundreds of people that are there gathered in a giant circle around the guys who are waiting for to go off. But at you know six forty five, seven o'clock in the morning, you know it's chilly. There were a dozen people there, and there were five of us, and to hear the, you know, the rumble, you know, and then and it starts to spit a little bit. And then when that ferment, we got to see, I got to watch my grandkids watch Old Face Faithful, not once, not twice, but three times in one day. And meanwhile, you know, we walked these mile long boardwalks through Geyser Basin, the lower basin, the upper basin, past these thermal pools, and uh, you know vents and other geysers and uh it was i it was a delight to watch their delight okay okay my my goal my goal my goal is to recapture that ability to be that delighted okay okay Uh, it's like you're some pastor trying to make an analogy right now because (laughs) i literally have documents from when you guys would come and visit San Luis yeah. Obispo yeah. and other people where I'm like, here are all your options. Here are restaurants. Here are places to go. Yeah. And now when people come visit Nashville, we have places. We're like, we're going to take you here. Yeah. One of the coolest things in the world is watching somebody else experience something for the first time that you never get to. And yeah. isn't that what being a Silas and walking with other people oh, is all oh, about? Good. There you go. Absolutely. So watch the epiphanies dawn for people to make the connection, to see the wonder of it all. It is. And, yeah. And, 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 and a very rewarding part of the inside. 
And and what does it do for your heart when you're watching these kids experience something that you can never experience again for the first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what does it do for you? What does it feel like? Oh, I just I just caught myself smiling so much. I mean, it was uh, yeah, it was what what was it better watching the geyser or watching the kids? Watching the kids. Oh, definitely. Yeah. My word. Preach it. We're done. <laughs> Mic drop. Are you kidding me? You didn't even intend this to be this. This is what it's about. Yeah. We experience it and we go, wow. And then we drag other people kicking and screaming at the early hours of the morning saying, just trust me, it'll be worth it. And then we watch their faces. That's it. That's exactly. Now I'm seeing, this is why I enjoy doing intake at Samson. Yeah. Yeah, but the, I, I, you know, my favorite part of the week is the newcomer meeting I get to do on Saturday, you know, and all, all the walks I get to take with guys on their very first walk. I love it. Yeah, I, it, and it's very similar to, to the experience of watching my kids at, at Old Faithful. You're right. Ah, I'll be darned. Beautiful. Well, hell, let's move on to other things. Listeners, stick well, around. We'll have some conversation with some person in the near future uh stick around <laughs> what an introduction to andy gullahorn oh, it's, oh. Even, it's even better it's all, even right. Better. all right okay. we'll be right back this episode of the power Milk podcast is sponsored by lifeworks counseling our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter, and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society, the Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family, or to register for one of their upcoming intensives, go to LifeWorks.ms, LifeWorks.ms. Welcome back to the Power Month Podcast. Well, our guest this week will be back, first weekend in November, back by popular demand at the uh, Stampson Society National Retreat, the big summit coming up at Sky Ranch in Van, Texas. The last time he was with us, I wasn't there. It was in uh, 2020. I watched the video. It was fantastic. I, everybody <laughs> agreed. It was a high point, high point of the weekend. Uh, all uh, right. All forward. right. All right. All right. So let's explain this. This, okay. this was how many years ago? Three years 20, ago? It was 2020, wasn't it? Okay. I, it uh, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't know. I've lost track of time uh, ever since uh -huh. my divorce. Uh -huh. But uh, this was my only real COVID experience. Like everyone has COVID stories. And other than going to California and thinking that they're all nuts, mm -hmm. my only COVID experience was this retreat uh -huh. where Andy was there. And every other speaker, <laughs> the main speaker, every workshop. COVID did, oh no, he, he was he got news as he pulled up to the oh he was the, the camp. he was but there he quarantined himself. Yes, so the only two people left of everybody, yeah, me and Andy. Andy, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, just the fact that. There is a retreat this year that we didn't run it into the ground in 2020. That's that's amazing because <laughs> we had no clue what we were doing. I, I remember I had just that year, uh, I had written a song that was inspired by something that John Lynch said one time. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to play in this song and let him hear this song that I wrote something he inspired. And then I, I get there and you're like, oh, yeah, he's not here. <laughs> he just left. Nate, Nate's not here. Actually, I, I was like, they're like, oh, he was just quarantined in a room and he just left. And I got in my room and there was like one towel used. And I was like, wait a second. They just put me in the quarantine room. 
<laughs> Dude, I, I honestly, here, here's all I remember from that particular night was people kept dropping off. Like I was getting calls and mm-hmm. it was 30 minutes before the first session. It was like, nobody's left. And I yeah. remember grabbing you and just saying something like, dude, we, we're going to have to make this up as we go along. I don't, I don't remember anything but that. And then I will never go back and listen to that first session because for the first 15 minutes, I was just talking, thinking, what are we doing this weekend? What's the direction we're going? And it must have been the worst thing ever. Oh, I mean, uh, and yet it, it lives in legend. People talk about that weekend as probably Samson's best retreat. I'm well, sorry, what are you going to say there, I, Adam? I don't know about that, but <laughs> let's just say that they do. That's yeah, uh, no, that's good. <laughs> Who's going to debate that? I don't know. I I, I I think we got a lot of grace. I remember you created a whole like workshop for people to go to. It I was, didn't. It was yeah, you did. Yeah, you don't remember this weekend any better than me. It's a blur. I'm telling you, I have uh, a horrible memory. Like, um, and the the way that I justify it in my brain is that I go to a lot of events. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to be as present as I can be where I am. And then when I leave, who knows what's going to stay with me? Uh, Uh, Yeah, yeah. You only have to be present when you're present. Yeah, but You're you're not. You're not committing to memory. That, that all sounds nice until uh, you're forgetting things about your children. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do, uh, I think fondly of that time. Uh, and I, I think of our conversation, for some reason, I'm picturing it like by the water. I remember walking over some pipe or something, and there were a lot of rocks there. Maybe we were skipping rocks or something and talking. <laughs> and, and that's all that I remember. Uh, but it's also COVID time. That was such a weird time. Uh, oh, man. I mean, how are we supposed to remember is, is like messing with our brains. And as a singer-songwriter for the last 20-something years, every I've had to adjust to so many different changes. So we got there, and you're like, hey, everybody's gone. We need to come up with something to do. I'm like, okay, it's just like another weekend. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad we just no. didn't trash the whole Samson Society organization. No, you were a, you were a great partner, and I grew up in improv like theater kinds of things. So I was actually super excited and, and felt like it was a very enjoyable weekend to me, uh, despite feeling like, Hey, we lost all of the meat of the awesomeness of these teachers, (laughs) but it was still exciting. Well, I mean, like Nate said, uh, everybody has been saying that 2020 was the best year when, when, you know, without Nate there, it was really wonderful. That's, I think that's what most people said. Okay, you get to say that because you are an OG Samson guy. Uh, and and I don't OG point two, probably. Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> point two, but I mean pretty OG. So P O G. P O G. Uh you're a pog. Uh, um, <laughs> and <laughs> so sorry. Uh I'm sure we've talked about this before, but just briefly, how did you even get involved with this because this was a long time ago involved with samson yeah yeah oh uh what year did samson start nate 2004 we're coming up on the 20th anniversary next oh my goodness well it probably was around 2004 for me um i heard about it from i believe dan hasseltine and then my Mm -hmm. pastor thomas mckenzie um, mm-hmm. they told me about the meetings down in Franklin and, and, uh, you know, so I, I started going and I really enjoyed it, but I live like in Nashville proper and Monday nights were really hard for me. Uh, so I was like, oh gosh, I can't, I'm so selfish. I need to find a way to get around this. So then I started a Samson society at my church, which is half a mile from me. And so that has I can't remember what year we started that, but it was uh, a while. It ago. was, yeah. It was. It was. It was the. You know, it was the second meeting. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. uh, and it, it's still going uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. So it's Tuesday nights uh, here in Nashville. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I was 
doing a lot of counseling and some counseling groups, uh, therapy groups around that time. And I really appreciated my pastor, Thomas. That's kind of where he would go, you know, outside of our church community, a place where he could go and have a safe place to be real and Mm -hmm. talk about life. And uh, I was so lucky to have a pastor that prioritized that. And, um, you know, and so when we started at, at our church, uh, just meeting at our church, you know, uh, I didn't expect Thomas to come because it was, there were some church people there. A lot of people who came weren't from our church particularly. Uh, but I just appreciated Thomas's example of, hey, here's a place yeah. you can come. You can be real. You can be vulnerable um, and be connected. And yeah. I'm just so uh, grateful that he invited me all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, 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 I'm wondering, you think back to those times. Yeah, I, to me, getting into recovery was kind of like waking up. Mm-hmm. I'd been in more or less a coma, at least a creative coma, for a long time. Uh, not that I, anybody else noticed. I mean, I was dancing as fast as I could, but I, I was working far below my potential and capabilities. I was mostly mailing it in. You know, operating with half my brain tied behind my back most of the time. I was astonished uh, when I got my first taste of sobriety, got into recovery, started to actually connect with myself and with my life, my own feelings, all that kind of stuff. First of all, it felt as though my my time expanded. I had a lot more time available to me. Um, My energy, it felt like, tripled. And my creativity really blossomed. Hmm. Uh, was that your experience? Okay, pause. Before you answer this, Andy, what do you mean by creativity? Like, to, what does it mean to you? Because I think to to either, a- any of us, that might mean something different. And I know you have uh, jumped back into songwriting stuff that we've talked about on the show. We won't talk about, we won't put any more of your songs up. We know it made you uncomfortable last time. But what do you mean when you say creativity? And then Andy can respond because it's just not fair to not define that term for you. Oh, wait, who are you asking to define? I'm asking you, you're saying your creativity grew. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Andy, do you know what it means? For him? him, I mean, I know it was uh, for a while. It was like uh, dancing, right? Spiritual. uh, Oh, yeah. Well, he said he fiercely danced. I I was thinking river dance at that point that he started river dancing (laughs) after recovery. I'm pretty sure everybody that's listening, when he says creativity, that's what they're picturing. So is that, is that right? <laughs> and and you know what, Nate? I wish you'd wear underwear when you wear that damn kilt. It's <laughs> just I don't I don't want it. Oh uh, well to me, uh, creativity is uh first of all, it's first of all, it's it's the soul of interest. I, 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 interest is the soul of creativity to actually now be interested in the world around me, to wake up and pay attention and to experience wonder for a moment. And then to be able to start to make uh, connections that uh, between, uh, uh, well, I don't know. Wow, this is a big, this is a big topic. But I, I will tell you this. I remember Bunker, Dave Bunker, I call him the godfather of the Sanction Society. Man, I love that. Yeah. Uh, describing us as embodied spirits. And he would talk a lot about embodiment. Uh, and I had been so divorced from my own body and just living from the neck up and trying to think my way to sanity and sobriety. Now to be physically present in the world and, and increasingly conscious of my own experience and then being able to put words to that it, 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 it's as though a lot of different avenues for expression opened up that were not available to me when I was uh, in active addiction. All right, Andy, run with that. Well, it's interesting. Going off of what you're saying, Nate, um, a lot of, to me, recovery is about a lot of things. One of them is mm-hmm. getting in touch with the way that I feel, the way my body feels, like what you're saying. Um, and then, as I sift through things, being able to make those connections of like, how does my, how has my story and my past and my family 
impacted the way that I see the world for both mm-hmm. good and bad, right? What, what are those messages that are running underneath the surface? And so it's starting this journey of paying attention to the connections. And to me, that's what, I mean, personally, as a songwriter, that's what songwriting has been about. It's about like kind of trying to walk through the world awake, not sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. And paying attention to what's happening in the world, and, and maybe you see, you know, a sunrise come over the hill, and that makes you think about, uh, a, it's a metaphor for something else. And it's, it's just looking at the world in that way, I think recovery for me is just a way to be awake to my to yeah. the reality of my life, and that feeds to me uh, songwriting, like my creative outlet. Yeah, it it definitely makes it deeper because I'm, I, I guess, if I was gonna say like a pre-recovery songwriting thing would be, oh, I imagine what it's like to be in love, and here are some words that people say it's like in love, and you you think of these images, um, but post-recovery, it's like I'm writing about stuff that I actually know because yeah. I'm I'm writing out of my own experience. Because I have to value my experience. I have to take a good hard look at my experience in the world and be honest with myself about it. And so then wait, the songs... Wait, 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 wait. Fuck what? Hell. Sorry. I'm, I was really trying not to swear. It's been an emotional day for me. Uh, you have to value those experiences. I have to pause on that statement because I feel like so many people are trying to get past those experiences. I felt shame. I felt guilt. And so the solution is I got to get past it and, and that'll go away. Then I can become the better version of me. That doesn't sound exactly like what you just said. Right. The way that I'm thinking about it, especially people who grew up in the church, right? Mm -hmm. It's, there's a lot of value on what you think, right? And, and yeah. here's, here's my theology. Here's what I think about God, or here's what I think about the world, or here's the kind of person that I think I should be. And at some point, what I love about the recovery world and the 12-step world is one of the questions is, how's that working for you, <laughs> right? So, so I could have, you know, conceptually, intellectually believe that the world is a certain way, and then I look at my life, and it is not exactly what I want it to be conceptually. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, recovery is like the inventories are taking a good hard look at yourself and saying, what is the truth about my life? What are my experiences? And it's not, I'm not saying like sit, I mean, I, I, you know, this could be taken a lot of different ways. But to me, it is, when I say honoring my experience, I mean honor what actually happened, what I was actually feeling, what I was actually thinking, what I was actually doing. Because until I take a good look at that, if I'm still living in this fantasy world of like what I hoped I would be doing or the way that I mm-hmm. hoped I was, I can't change any of the reality of my life. Mm-hmm. So like looking and honoring the experience and saying, for example, if I had, if I was just pissed off at God and really angry at God, but that was not allowed in my household, Mm-hmm. Right, and I just and I just said, well, God works in mysterious ways, and I know all things work for the good, and all this kind of stuff. Like I could spend my whole life like that, but until I mm-hmm. actually look at what my experience is, like I'm pissed off, yeah, about this. Uh, then nothing's going to change because it's not a real. I'm, it's like I'm, I'm trying to engage at a level that is in fantasy, and mm. to me, recovery is about moving out of that fantasy. You know, this is where I see uh, kind of a similar intersection between uh, stand-up and songwriting. Uh, that, follow me for a second. I, I appreciate good stand-up comedy, especially observational humor. And a really good stand-up comic is the guy who says the obvious, the, the thing that everybody's experienced. You have the shock of recognition. Mm-hmm. But he's actually pointing to it and saying, that's true. And... Uh, he says it in a surprising way. It catches you by surprise, but it's the shock of recognition that makes it funny. Good songwriting, I think, does the same thing. It puts words 
to these impulses, thoughts, feelings, convictions, fears that we have. And, and we know they're true. They're just lying beneath the, the surface. But the gifted songwriter gives them words and music and says them. And it's that, it's the recognition to go, oh, yeah, that, that, is, that is my experience. That is true. It makes me appreciate a good song. It makes me appreciate a good Andy Gullihorn song. So the uh, so the well written song, the well written song is the gift of a pick that chips away the veneer and shows you the thing just below the surface. Ah, hmm. I like that. I mean, that, that's something uh, for me to aspire to for sure. Uh, oh I, come on, you already do it. You already do it. Well, I, do it. I I would want to aspire to it with every song. Like like my goal. For me, writing songs, I'm not naturally connected with my emotional, my internal mm -hmm. emotional life. Mm -hmm. And songwriting for me is, is like the speed train to that part of, of my heart. So wow. I can enter into a song and trust that it's going to lead me or show me something about my heart. And I, I've learned that the only way I can do that is if I'm if I use my gut or my instinct as kind of the, the guardrails as to which way to go in the song, like, mm -hmm. does this feel true in my gut? And if I stick yeah. to that, then when the song's over, I feel like the first primary purpose is for my own healing. It's helping me get connected with yeah. my heart. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it might do that for somebody else, and I know that it does. People have told me that certain songs have meant that to them. And I'm really grateful and honored that that's true. Um, but if it does that for anybody else, it's only because it does that for me. Because the goal mm -hmm. is, is to be as honest with myself and to trust. When I say my gut, it's the same thing as, as my experience or whatever. Trust that like my experience of the world, whether or not it's... I'm not coming at it like, oh, here's a theological concept and I know this to be yeah. true theologically. I come at it like... This is what feels true to me. And then I can play it for people who know what they're talking about and be like, hey, am I a heretic or something? Let me know so I don't play this song live, you know. But uh, unless it's at a Samson retreat, we can only hope. Right. Uh, yeah, there's some I still play. Hey, okay, okay, we're going to come back to songwriting. We're going to come back to songwriting. But when you talk about that, you're talking about this uh, almost prayer closet experience, which is a misnomer because a prayer closet was not an individual. A anyways. Uh, an individual working through and wrestling, but I know you are a quick-witted and sarcastic fellow. And before we go back into, oh, you just <laughs> gave a creased eyebrow. Are you serious? Okay. Which, which part? Okay, I'm not even gonna. Okay, you're saying is, but he's a, he's a man with a gift for sarcasm. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's my question to you. Before we go back to the songwriting, which I think is important. Uh, when you were talking about that, I want to know personally the role of sarcasm in your life, in your wit, in your responses. How has it served you well and how has it not served you well? Because I think there's a lot of people that live in the arena of sarcasm that just say, this is just how, this is how I am, this is how I love people, and they don't actually process that. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Okay, I, I hope, and this would not be 100% of the time, and, and maybe there'd be a lot of people that oh, would argue come on. <laughs> come on. Uh, sorry, I just said I was disconnected. <laughs> okay, are you guys still there? <laughs> the okay. listeners, he immediately went offline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> well, if this is still recording... <laughs> All knows? right, we're going to go see back if we and can listen get him to back this. in. It's pretty I don't exciting. Nope, you're back, Somehow. you're back. This is good. You're back. I lost you guys. We lost you, man. Yeah, you you clicked offline. I this asked about sarcasm. Actually, sounds like. <laughs> okay, can you hear us? Oh boy, this is going really well. <laughs> going great. Sarcasm. It's going great. All right, so you're back answering the sarcasm question because I'm I'm curious. I I want to know. Oh man. He's going to reload in. We'll keep it load. We'll keep it going. Hey, can you hear us? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he'll edit it 
at whatever point he wants. We made fun of the you lo- for, for logging off after that question. <laughs> well, the funny thing <laughs> is, it still showed, you know, I can still see my video, and it still showed that it was recording for me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know if, you, if it will still record that for you, but I was saying all kinds of sarcastic things. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going really well. This is really well done. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have any of that uh, saved. We couldn't hear any of it. We could not hear a thing. Okay. Um, okay. So how has the sarcasm served me well and how has it not served me well? Is that a good? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to think that my sarcasm in relationships and in the real world is not like a negative kind of sarcasm. I'm, I'm never trying to make somebody feel left out. Um, and, um, I mean, yeah, I hope it always serves to, uh, bring me and somebody else or, and other people closer together. I'm sure that's not everybody's experience. Um, but I, I, I don't think of the sarcasm I use in the real world as being harsh necessarily. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't cut people down. That's the goal. I, I, and I, I would hope that I wouldn't do that. And if I did do that, or if I have done that, I would try to recognize it and apologize for it right away. Um, mm. But I mean, sarcasm or humor to me, like, for example, in so- in songwriting, I don't write a- all my songs aren't funny. And some of them, some people might say none of my songs are funny. I don't care. But uh, <laughs> if there is anything funny in those songs, the direct purpose is to uh, break down and get past some walls and to build trust with somebody. I think when you can really laugh with somebody, then you you just intrinsically trust them more. And so that's why I have a hard time. You know, there are some places they're like, Oh, will you come play this one song? That's kind of a funny song. And that's the only song that I'm playing. I'm like, well, it doesn't feel right. Cause the only reason why I write those songs is so that they, somebody might listen to a song yeah. that's more about my heart following it, you know? Yeah. Um, right. So it's, it's serving a purpose. And that purpose is also to get closer, to have more intimacy, to have, to be more vulnerable, uh, and to open up our hearts more. Um, and to me, Ooh, oh, oh, wait, that's huge. What? Because I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking of assholes, right? The people that use sarcasm to tear other people down and then say, that's just how we love. That's, that's, you know, that's how we're buddies. And I'm like, bullshit. I'm looking at that person. They feel horrible. You and the other five people feel good. And you're saying there's a version of, yeah, I can be funny. I can be silly. I can be sarcastic. And then there's a next step that that's open. That's, that's, uh, that's rototilling the soil here, but I want to go to vulnerability. That is a huge difference well, I, because I would toxic sarcasm won't go there. I would ever. also say the problem with those people that you're talking about isn't the sarcasm necessarily. It's just the fact that they're an asshole. So like, mm-hmm. um, if you're, if you're doing something to tear somebody down or make somebody feel left out, um, I mean, there's a million ways to do that. Maybe sarcasm would be one of them and maybe sarcasm mm-hmm. is a, is a wrong word for this, but I can definitely be sarcastic, but, um, like I would imagine being around friends and saying something, you know, ribbing somebody, ribbing one of my friends, uh, in a sarcastic way. If I felt like even on my friend's face that something might have hit uh, yeah. a personal nerve, um, then I'm like, hey, that's done. That, that is totally not worth it for me. And I would hope yeah. that I would go to that person and make amends because that is not not my heart. My heart is to bring people together to make us feel more okay with being more vulnerable. Um, so most of the humor that I would use normally is self-deprecating humor because it's way easier to kind of like, hit myself than hit somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only reason I'm asking about this and, and straight off the song writing part is of all the listeners, I know there are certain people who have heard others say, Hey, you're really sarcastic. And what they mean is you're hurting people around you. 
And that takes some self-reflection on, okay, what, what, why, what am I doing? And I think you have a natural wit and sarcasm where you have to know that about yourself. And I think there are listeners who will feel like, okay, I've been told I'm sarcastic. Is, is this an act of love and moving towards vulnerability? Or is this an act of protection that I use sarcasm to keep everybody away and keep the attention on me in a way that feels safe? I, I think what you're yeah. talking about, too, is coming back to what I love so much about Samson the, from the first time that I went. To me, the point of something like Samson is to be able to, to be with other men and to be vulnerable and you're giving other men the keys to your life. You're like, hey, here's what my experiences are. Sometimes I can't see the world so clearly. Sometimes I can't even see my own actions really clearly. But I'm giving you the keys to speak into my life when it's time to do that. And so I think to be in a, um, a community of men who know you, who you're vulnerable with, and who you trust, hopefully there will be people who could say, hey, sometimes when you do this, uh, it's like really hurtful. Uh, help us see the blind spots that we can't see. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's one of the the many benefits, I think, of the Samson Society. Well, thank you for indulging my question about sarcasm. Back to your songwriting. Looking back pre-recovery, post-recovery, uh, I know in my life, and I'm sure in Nate's songwriting life, there are things that I can look <laughs> back and say, oh, that was... Uh, that was true for who who I was, mm-hmm. um, and you, and you watch these progressions, you watch these changes. What does that look like to you? Where you can look back to certain times where you're like, "Wow, that is a beautiful innocence of who I was," regardless of being stupid and young and in your fantasy. And where did you see that shift? Where you're like, "Wow, I feel like I'm I'm writing him." in reality now i'm not in the fantasy i mean there are definitely things concepts that i would write um that were more kind of like that i don't relate to anymore right that that are Mm -hmm. a lot of songs i just wouldn't sing anymore because it's not the way that i would some of those songs were actually kind of like more churchy like mm-hmm. sin kind of beating myself up for sin. Right. Yeah. And even using that language and I, I try to write in a language that is not going to exclude people who don't believe in God. So mm-hmm. sin is, you know, words like that. It's not like they are just songs that don't, wouldn't be in the language that I would write now. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say even before recovery, looking like the songs were, truer than I knew that they were back then. Like I was, Ah, I was writing about something and I was like, I thought I knew what I was writing about, but I didn't. And and to me, Mm -hmm. that's where kind of the, what what I would say is like the Holy spirit is coming into it. It's kind of opening myself up to this creative process of being a creator, um, a co-creator and just kind of like trying to be vulnerable. And there's songs coming up from a place in me that I don't fully understand. So, there are songs before I got into recovery that I still really resonate with. And I have no clue where they were coming from. I'm like, what did you know back then? Um, yeah. 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 And, but yeah, I, I think the, of the songs that I like, I wouldn't play anymore or just don't feel like they're in my voice. They're the ones that are more kind of, um, punishing, you know, like, but yeah, I don't know. But, but those other songs you're talking about it goes back to the not condemning a whole chunk of your past. Not being like a Peter who's like, well, luckily things were going well, and then I did this denial thing, and then I had this Lake of Galilee thing, and, and then I'm back on track, so let's forget that time outside of the Sanhedrin. Like, no, that was a critical point. I need to honor that for what it brought me to. And the idea of success and failure, those are my failures, but I would never get to that success without the failure. So is it a failure? And why are we judging that shit anyways? Is that our our goal? And to look back at that young Andy and be like, oh, 
precious baby boy. You, you saw and felt and experienced things that were so true. You just didn't know how true they were yet. Yes. And I have to hold with an open hand that 20 years from now, I'm going to look back on the songs I'm writing today and I'm going to feel the same way. You know, yes. and, and so it's, it's like holding it really loosely. It's like to never write from a place like, well, I know what the answer is. I'm writing from my experience. Yeah. And it's true because it's from my experience. And, and yeah. knowing that it might change. And I'll look back and be like, oh, man, you really thought you knew what you were talking about when you wrote that song and you had no clue. And I hope that continues mm. to happen for the rest of my life because oh, that means that I'm growing. Yeah. Isn't that the Western way of thinking? I'm trying to figure out the answer. And when I've got the answer, then I'm done. Versus, no, today you're getting the best version of me. But I know 20 years ago, that day Today, 20 years ago, wouldn't be the best version. So I hope that 20 years from now, today is not the best version. It's just the best version of me today. Right. And I'm, I'm still walking, still growing. It's cool. And Rock on. This might be, um, I don't know if this is directly relating to your question, but um, one thing, once I got into recovery, I was always keenly aware, and still am, that it's important for me to write the, the language of the songs, it's, if somebody somebody that I knew or somebody that knew my music uh, was given a folder full of all of the worst things I've ever done in my life, mm-hmm. um, I would want them to be able to read that folder and then be like, well, the songs were consistent with that. You know, like, yeah. like I, it's not me trying to make a case for myself, but like, you know, there's a lot of people that whatever their struggles are, they kind of go the opposite way and they just condemn, 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 and you, you, you know, thou protesteth too yeah. much kind of a thing. And I'm like, well, if somebody was ever hurt by me or if my kids who know a lot of my story, um, if they one day heard other different pieces of my story, they'd be like, oh yes, well that's consistent with even the, the worst failures are consistent with how I knew my dad to be. And it's consistent with the way that he wrote songs. So the songs have to be something that isn't going to like come back and bite me in the butt and uh, make me a hypocrite. So that keeps me from writing songs that are uh, judgmental yeah. of other people. Uh, it keeps me from writing songs that are saying, Oh, I'm, I've got all my stuff together. Like mm-hmm. I, I want it to be consistent. If somebody knew my whole story. Isn't it, man. Yeah. I, I'm so tracking. What, what you're saying is, I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're trying to let these songs be the story of your life, your journal that you're making public, and, and I, don't, I don't know how it fits in your brain, but it's, I totally get the, I hope that when I'm gone, and maybe my grandkids get this, that it's honest and clear and appropriate to them, but that it's, it, they, they wouldn't pair that with the facts and say, yeah, he's full of crap. Right. I love that. I love that. And you know, what strikes me, this really correlates with what uh, David did with the Psalms. Uh, you read da- the Psalms. David, read, David Bunker. <laughs> you read King David's life and you read the Psalms and they match. Yeah. They match. It was a guy who lived out loud. Well, uh, you've talked about your kids, uh, your dad. How old are the kids now, Andy? So I have two in college, a 21 and a 19-year-old, and then a 16-year-old still at home. Wow. Um, And you and Jill, we're coming up on the season for uh, the big uh, Behold the Land tour that happens. How long has that been going? Have you done it from the start with – uh andrew andrew yeah andrew peterson um the first time that we uh did the christmas show would have been when jill was pregnant with drew who's my oldest so 22 years ago wow uh, she wow. she sang a song called labor of love for the first time when, when she was pregnant with drew and he was born february 2002 um mm. so yeah it's been going for quite a while and there's a lot of history on that tour um, so it's, it's kind of every December, pretty much, you know, for the last 20 years, uh, 
the week after Thanksgiving, we hop on a bus for a few weeks and, and do this tour wherever they will have us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, uh, I, I am so glad that, uh, your schedule, you were, I, I understand you may have had to move some things around, but you prioritized the Samson society in order to come down to Texas and be with us that first weekend in November. I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. So how do people get in touch with what you have done, with what you are doing, with who you want to be, uh, you know, how do they, what are your passwords on your computer so they can sure. log into your personal journals? Oh, oh, tell them about your Patreon though. Yeah. If they want to hear your new stuff, yeah. uh, where you're putting it. Yeah. I've been, um, I mean, I've been slowly working on a record that hopefully will be done early in 2024. But, um, in the meantime, like when COVID hit, people were telling me to join Patreon and I was like, I don't know that I can do that. But, uh, the way that I look at Patreon is I've been writing a lot of songs. I, I write songs for myself and write songs for uh, other people. And I've been playing, I travel a good bit playing shows. And there's a lot of new songs I've been playing on the road. And uh, I just kind of treat Patreon as whenever I write a song, I record a video of it, uh, me playing it, and then I post it on there. So all the songs that I've written over the last like six years are available there to people on Patreon. And, uh, and then we also do like a, during COVID, I started these Facebook Live and Instagram Live shows called the Gullahorn Happy Hour that we thought was just going to be the first week of quarantine, and quarantine lasted a lot longer than we thought. And uh, but uh, so once a month, I get on there, and there's like a Zoom happy hour where we can see each other. It's a wonderful community of people, and we I play some songs and and we play some games because I like playing games. And um, but yeah, that's kind of where the new music lives until I finish this recording. But really, other than that, my job is just, I love traveling around and playing songs for people. And um, I'm lucky that it, it keeps me busy enough on the road doing all kinds of things, retreats and conferences and concerts and, you know, just wherever. Uh, but, you know, the best way to get in touch with me is Patreon. But on social media, I mean, stuff's on Spotify and Apple Music, well, whatever. What's, what's, how, do, how do people get to the Patreon thing? I, I've never done Patreon, so how I do think, they do it? I mean, it's probably patreon.com slash Andy Gullihorn, but also they went to andygullihorn.com. There'd be a link there for Patreon. Uh, it's not hard to find if you can spell my last name. Like, there aren't any other Andy Gullihorns on Instagram or Facebook or Patreon or would, Apple Music. Would you, would you care to spell your last name to make it easier, or shall we just um, no, I this a quest? I, I wouldn't care to. I'm just kidding. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> It's a G U L L A H O R N. Um, so, and I don't have people. So when people reach out to me, social media or email or whatever, it's just like, you know, I, I, I like getting to know people and I, I love playing songs for them and just connecting with them, which is one of the reasons why I'm really excited to come to the retreat in November. That's awesome. going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So yeah. listeners, if you haven't signed up to come to the retreat and you're like Adam Young, Who's that? I don't know about his podcast. He's probably stupid. The other speakers, they're idiots. But, oh, Andy Gullihorn? Well, maybe that'll make it worth it. Well, then sign up. You're almost out of time. So, seriously, do it. Don't do it. But you'll suffer if you don't, because Andy's ready to go. All right, Andy, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Uh, we'll see you in just a few weeks. Yeah, so good to see you both. I can't wait to see you. Okay, all right. And listeners will be right back. A Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had Andy on the show. That's always yeah. fun. I, I'd love having your OG guys on the show. Yeah, yeah. And he's such a unique character. And he, he really is. You know, when, when Andy says that he likes getting people together, um, he really is one of the most relational people I know. And he has a talent for getting people together to have a good time, whether it's getting, getting them together to play disc golf or to bowling. Uh, bowling 
or some other thing, or to have an honest conversation. Yep. He's, uh, he's able to do it all. Well, I know that that uh, 2020 retreat, his, his concert, we had such a good time. It really felt like a very relational time. Yeah. Like we were hanging out, and uh, he's such a great storyteller. So it's going to be fun. I'm so glad he's going to be there this year. It's going to yeah. be good. So, guys, uh, we are down to the last weeks before. I, I mean, I don't know when this is going to come out. Hopefully soon, the next couple of days. But it's it's time if you've been on the fence to sign up or not. But this is your moment. Add to that thought, Nate. I ran out of thoughts once I said that. <laughs> You're, you're just you're just agreeing with me, but not helping. Help me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a countdown to the big uh, 2023 Samson Society Summit at Sky Ranch in Van Texas. By the way, just get yourself to Dallas. When you register, there is a transportation information form that you can fill out. If you are uh, renting a car, if you feel like you want to drive, uh, rent one that's big enough that you can carry some other guys. We'll help put that together. If all you can do is get to Dallas, then uh, we'll figure out a way to get you from there to the retreat. Uh, but uh, yeah, time's running out. Would love to see you there. There's nothing quite like that weekend when you get a bunch of men together all wanting the same thing. Especially if you're on virtual meetings. And I love virtual yeah. meetings, but there's nothing better than getting to hang out with guys that you've sat with in virtual rooms. And to find out how tall they actually are. <laughs> or short. Yeah. Or, or short. Yeah. Either way. It's always shocking. It's always fun. All right. Well, that about wraps it, I think, Aaron, for this episode of the podcast. Uh, we do like to hear from listeners. Once again, uh, we can be reached at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, then. I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.